98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. Martinez out of the shotgun, drops back inside the five-yard line, throws deep to the near side of the field, and that ball is tipped, intercepted by Chris Edmonds. And Edmonds will head down the near sideline. He's to the 20, he's to the 10, he's to the 5, and Edmonds will take it all the way in for a pick six for Arizona State. However, there is a penalty flag down on the field. Uh, Two pick sixes. Oh, Serena just got broke. Oh, 6-5. Tom Lajanovic from Australia in the first set just broke Serena. She's going to serve to win the, uh, the set. So she'll be serving to win the set as the, uh, we're all watching and hoping that Serena can have a run in the U.S. Open. So, but Serena just got broken. So now she's down. Um, so now, it's six, six, five. five. Tom, Tom, Tom will, if that's her name, will from Australia will serve to win that set. Two pick sixes that were negated because of penalties, but outside of that, a very disciplined ASU football team. I mean, a very disciplined. Didn't have a lot of penalties. They ran the ball extremely well. They ran it right down NAU's throats. Listen, it's. I don't want to get too high on, on this, but it's what you should expect when you're playing a much inferior opponent. The for the. The worry yesterday was that ASU wasn't going to lose. Nobody was thinking ASU was going to lose. The concern was, could they struggle? Could they win and struggle? Because that would have set off a lot of alarms. I know ASU won, but my God, it was a close game in the third quarter, and they, they only won by 14. No, they blew them the hell out. Right. They said they 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 proved that NAU is a much inferior opponent, and they clobbered them. Yeah, let's get the disclaimers out of the way right here at 504. Yeah, we get it. It was NAU. Yeah. We understand that. We're going to find out really what they're made out of next week. But from the data we got last night, look, I remember a few years ago, Cal Poly came in here and gave ASU all it could handle. And yeah, that was a sign of things to come. And it wasn't great for that particular season. Last night, you played an inferior team, and you did what you were supposed to do. I was real excited to watch Emory Jones play quarterback and ex Valade carry the football. I was impressed with both of those transfers coming into the program. I talked about it yesterday. This is not Monday morning quarterback. I talked about ASU playing cleaner football, and I'm talking about penalties. They were the most penalty penalized team in Power Five football last year. Oh, it was, a t- it was so bad. And, and that'd be like three false start penalties on the same series. Like, come on! And, and, and not only come that, on. not only that, they were discombobulated in the backfield. They had running backs going one way, the quarterback going the other way. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. No, but last last night. They they had it together and they win the game forty to three. They essentially put that game to, to uh, they put it away at the half up twenty four to three. Jones was darn near perfect at the half throwing the football. Did have the one miscue. Fine. They ran the ball for one hundred and fifty six yards uh, in the first half. Holiday was great, as good as advertised. I see why this guy is the current active rushing leader in all of college football. He looks like an NFL back. I don't care it was against NAU. I'm just looking at the way he looks physically and the way he moves and weaves uh, throughout the defense. Mm-hmm. I, I think I expect him to have a nice uh, year in the Pac-12. So having said all that, let's see how they do in Stillwater next week. But the biggest takeaway from last night, and I've seen the projections by national media across the country, from what I saw last night, that's not a three-win football team. 
That's not a four-win football team. Now, is it a seven-win football team? I don't know. I don't think so. But is that a five- or six-win football team? Yeah. Yeah, that's a football team that can be 500. Yeah. They, they, We're they, basing they, it solely on a game against NAU. And, but, again, it's hard to judge it. But I think, again, I think to me the positive is they. it, it was a little bit of a slow start. A little bit of a slow start, three nothing. Okay, but once they got rolling, they got rolling. The only thing that they gave NAU was, you know, Jones had a fumble, a sack, and a fumble, and NAU turned it into a late field goal at the end of the first half. But outside of that, they come back, they score, they go up thirty-one to three at the start of the second half. They, they clobbered them. They did what they needed to do. The thing you, the thing honestly that you were worried about is that ASU with all these new players that haven't played together, we're going to come out and be sluggish for the entire game, and you you were left with question marks. I don't have any question marks from that game, right? Discipline, not any questions on discipline. They were disciplined. Quarterback looked great. New running back looked great. Some of those wide receivers, they looked great. So, like, you know, the defense looked great. Like, everything, the kicker, the kicker looked great. Everything was good. So I have no negatives to really harp on, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to come in here today and feel like ASU did what they needed to do. They took it. They clobbered NAU because they should clobber NAU, and they did. Let me tell you something. If Glenn Thomas wanted to, he could have put up two more touchdowns. They could have won that game fifty-four to three. They they did what a what a decent Power Five team should have done against a team like NAU. And again, this ex valide impressive. And again, I, I I don't want to keep throwing out the disclaimer. No, he was, I know, he I know was it was good. NAU. I'm just I'm looking at the player. I'm looking at his size. I'm looking at his body type. I'm looking at his vision. I'm looking at his cuts. I'm looking at the fact he's got more rushing yards than anybody currently playing college football in his entire career. It's a good player. It's a good player. Yeah, I was excited to see him. I wasn't sure we were coming. He's coming from Wyoming. Yeah, not exactly coming from Alabama. Right, so I wanted to see what what they had, and that's why I look at this team and I look at the recruit that Emory Jones was, and I watched him. I watched him move last night. I watched him throw the ball, and I'm like, okay, big quarterback. I mean, he's bigger than I thought. Yeah. Like on some of those running plays, you know, Jaden was a Jaden was skinny. He was skinny. Yes, he was a, he was a toothpick. Like you always worried that Jaden was going to break every time he ran the ball. Talented kid, talented kid, but he was like you worried when he ran. You worried that that one hit could take him out of the game. I'm watching. Emery run last night, and 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 man, he's a big, strong kid. Like he'll try to run you over. Like he may try to run you over. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but like he's he's a bulkier kid that can take on a block, that he can take on a tackle. There was one play, and I don't know if you remember remember this, but um, there was a touchdown run by Emery Jones in which he faked the handoff to Valaday, and then Valaday was the lead blocker all the way down the field. He, they made a block at the five yard line, and then Jones got in. And I loved that play. It was my favorite play of the game. My favorite play of the game. Because his lead, Emory Jones' lead blocker was the guy he had the fake handoff to. Yeah. So he's, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to keep it. But then down the field is Valaday. And right inside the five yard line, Valaday makes a block. Emory Jones goes in for the touchdown. I was in. And, yep. it, and I was like, you know what? I mean, that is, I loved to see that. To me, that was a terrific play. Yeah, I liked, I liked what I saw out of the, out of the new offense. Uh, you know, Glenn Thomas's offense, a little bit of read option, a little bit of drop back, a little traditional, uh, the, uh, the throwing out of the pocket. They ran the football. They, they ran power sweep into the end zone, uh, at one point. And, Again, Emory Jones, I mean, listen, this kid almost engineered an upset over Nick Saban in Alabama last year. So the ability is there. If he can do that, 
don't tell me that if he has a pretty good supporting and surrounding cast, he can't engineer six wins and now five more wins in the season for this yeah. team to at least have a 500 season. Boy, that tight end, too. I liked the, the tight end. I didn't even know he's from Bayshore, New York, but he's from Bayshore. Uh, Messiah Swinson played at Missouri. They said on the break, it's like he had five catches for Missouri last year. I go, that's it? That kid, that kid looks good. Like That kid looked good. Like, he had some nice plays, especially in the first half. Look, they moved the ball around. They got it to a bunch of different players. You got to see that. Um, but the guys that stood out were, were absolutely the two big transfers, Emory Jones and X Validate. Those guys stood out. Right. And now, listen, now we'll see what happens on Oklahoma the Oklahoma State. At sure. Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, listen, if they come, if they lose 61 to three, we're going to have a much different conversation. I don't on think they're going Tuesday. to. I, I, I don't think I, that. The, I, I don't. I, I, I honestly I gamble. I, I don't know. That that's the problem with playing NAU. But my own eyes tell me that there's some pieces there. But going on the road to a team that finished in the top five last year, who's got some pieces back, and they looked really, really good <laughs> this week too. So I yeah. don't know. Let, 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 let's you know what? Line them that's up and why. Play. Listen, that, I feel that, better about it than I did 24 hours ago. I'll tell you that. That's why you play a cupcake. Right away. That's why you play a team like any you right away. You get some confidence going. You work on some things. You try not to show too much, and then you move on. There will be a 12-team playoff in college football. I think it's time that we all just come around to the idea that that is the future of college football. I may not like it, but I know a lot of you do. We'll talk about that next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. More football is good. Right. Like exactly. More football is better. Yeah. And, we, and listen, we got to find a way to make it right for the players and the schedules and all that stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, every year there's a team at the end of the year, Des, we're going, man, if, if they got a shot, they might be, they might right. be hot. They might get hot and win this thing. Exactly. Well, now we're going to see it. All right, Tim Ring filling in for Burnsy. We're taking you right up until 6 o'clock tonight. So David Pollock likes it. Yes. Yeah, 12-team college football playoff. That's what we're going to get. The College Football Playoffs Board of Managers voted Friday to expand the college football playoff to 12 teams in 2026. So the 11 presidents and chancellors comprising the board approved the original 12-team model, which includes the six highest-ranked conference championships, uh, champions and six at-large teams. So that we're going to get. You're going to get the college football playoffs. I mean, you're going to get the college football playoffs. I'm not a fan of it because my simple being is, one, I do agree with uh, you, totally takes away from the regular season. Because now these teams could lose a game, they could lose two games, and it doesn't matter. You You look at this opening weekend with some of the big games going on. Utah against Florida, Notre Dame against Ohio State, um, Oregon's, who's got Oregon got this week? Oregon's got a tough matchup this week, too. Georgia. Georgia. Oregon and Georgia. So, you know, you lose a game, and it's almost like, oh, man. I mean, it, the well, you're regular not to- season. You're not totally dead. Not totally but, dead, but. But, but it, 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 a, it means a whole hell of a lot. Right. And historically, listen, be, before the four-team playoff, it meant everything. If you were a national championship contending team, there's a good chance it, it, once you lost a game, you were done. Because if there were two other undefeated teams at the end of the season, they were going to play for the national championship. And it didn't matter you were Alabama. 
and you had by far and away the best team. You lost. Yeah. You were on the outside looking in, and you couldn't fight to get back into that national championship game. But when you went to four teams, it kind of, you know, it, 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 it helped teams lose a game and get back into it. But now you expand to 12, it's going to really eradicate the importance of regular season games. Now, I understand. And, can, and I don't think that 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 can compete. Look, I don't even think that 5, 6, and 7 can compete. No, you, you don't think. You, the history tells us they can't. I mean, the four seed can't sniff a competitive game in the playoffs in the last six, seven years. And they, they, they get waxed. They get waxed. So, so um, they, they, listen, there's, there's, there's four teams in college football that usually have a chance to win it all. And then there's everybody else, right? With the exception of the LSU team that got Joe Burrow and somehow put it together for a national championship. But those are the facts. But look, Gamble, there's also there's the, there's the mindset. And it's not just fans, but there's a lot of people in the media that believe that by expanding the playoffs, you'll actually make the regular season more appealing because more teams will stay alive throughout the course of said regular season. So regular season games will inherently have more meaning because more teams will have a chance to stay alive for the postseason. While I agree with that in theory, and that is true, where I get caught up and I disagree to a certain extent is is just that raw emotion that drove college football fans when you were on the edge of the seat, whether it was your team playing or a team that you, you were just watching as a casual fan, knowing that like they're literally like their national championship, their entire season was on the line in September. That was an emotion and a feeling that you will that was unique to college football, and and, and it will be gone. Forever, with an expanded playoff, and to a certain extent, it's almost gone now with the four team. This is what the really fans gone this, now. This is so, what the fans want. They'll be more engaged during the playoffs. Now, people always say, "What about the, you know?" Okay, now the first few teams are going to get a buy, so that will alleviate some of the because the one of the things that a lot of people worried about as you keep expanding the playoffs is now you extend the season longer. Now these kids, you know, got to travel more, and then the fans. I mean, how many, how many times can the fans go to a game? Well, they got to play you know? home. They got to play home playoff games. Okay, but if you're yeah. the, if you're a road team, and now I got to go here. Okay, now I win, and now I got to go there. Now I win. Now I got to go there. You know, what, how many more games? One bowl game. A lot of fans can get together and go to one bowl game, make a trip of it, make a vacation out of it. But a lot of fans may struggle to go to three games. So that was one of the the, the theories as to why you didn't want it is because you know if a team got to play three games in three different spots. I mean, you know, can they really get their fan base out? Can they really get the diehard fans to go to all of those games? It's hard. I mean, it's hard, you know, to take three weeks off in a row well, or three, gonna, was, I mean, three long weekends in a row and go pay for hotel and airfare and no, travel and, and everything. Unless you're loaded and retired and have nothing better to do, it's not going to happen. So that's, I mean, it, the, the, the games are going to be filled with, with locals and home team fans, period. The other thing about it is a lot of times, you know, you talk about big college football fan bases. You, you talk about Michigan or Ohio State or Notre Dame. A lot of those home fans travel in for games. You know, not every, every all 110,000 people at the big house in Ann Arbor, they don't all live in Ann Arbor. They don't all live in Detroit. 
a lot of those fans right. are flying in for games. So that's going to be that's going to be interesting. And I will say this uh, as a pro to the pro and cons of this is the college football playoff pretty much neutered all the bowl games. Fans be- have become disinterested. Even the New Year's New Year's New Year's six games that weren't playoff games. You know, top players sit out. It it, it it takes away from the 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 attractiveness of the game. You're going to have more meaningful postseason games now. I highly doubt top players, even if they're dr- going to be draft eligible, will sit out playoff games. I hope that doesn't happen. But That's the, a but great th- question. Let's talk about that for a second here. Think about that. You got kids missing bowl games. You. you no, you might. I mean, if a kid like I'm not gonna, I'm gonna. So now your risk of injury is greater. Of course. Instead of one game, you got three games. You're a first round draft pick. You're gonna be a first round draft pick. I gotta play three more games. I gotta play three more games. I'm gonna be a first round draft pick whether I play in these games or not. Mom, dad, my agents, everybody's telling me, man, I can. You know, if I, that starts happening, college football has a major, major problem. It's one thing for a kid to sit out the Gator Bowl or even the Fiesta Bowl when it's not a college football playoff game. But they saw sit out playoff games. But if you start sitting out playoff games when your team's got conceivably, in theory, a chance to win a national championship, mm, that's a good, it's man, a fair question. That we've seen ASU players sit out bowl games. Because it's a meaningless Because they're meaningless. Game. But I mean, the playoff can, game, I mean, you can make the argument. These are playoff games. Like, you want to be a part of that. That's what you, that's what you, you dreamt about that as a kid to play and to win a college championship. Could you imagine a kid on, say, Iowa is like, we're going to have to play three games. Coach, we're not, we're not running the Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State gauntlet here. I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out. The, the Iowa quarterback. Could you? I mean, that would be college football's Waterloo. What, what, what would they do? Well, what would you recommend? If you were the kid's agent, what would you tell What would you tell them? If you're the kid's agent, you'd be a first-round pick right now. Like, I wouldn't. If I'm an NFL team, I don't fault the kid. I don't fault you for not playing. Not with the money on the line? But I, I don't, I, I, I don't like, think it's going to happen because, they, I mean, listen, nobody's ever. Okay. From what I, from what I know, because nobody can correct me if I'm wrong, nobody yet, no matter how high a pick they're projected to be has ever sat out a playoff game or a national championship game. I know guys have sat out uh, New Year's Six games, Big Bowl games, Fiesta Bowls, Rose Bowls, but nobody's ever sat out a playoff game or a national championship game to preserve their health. So with a championship on the line, nobody's done that for their teammates yet. But would they do it if they had to play extra games in December? Well, I, I don't know. Not one game anymore. Now it's or two games anymore. Now it could be three for some teams. I think three is the most you could play. Oh, so right, so we'll just be one more game. The Phoenix Suns could be in the market for a small forward from the Utah Jazz. What would it take for them to get Boyan Bogdanovich? We'll talk about that next on ninety-eight-seven FM Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. All right, Tim Rigg filled in for Burnsy. We will have a, a three-day weekend with the Labor Day weekend coming up, so we'll get you set for 6 o'clock. 
Got some D-backs baseball tonight against the Brewers. We'll have D-backs on deck. Get you ready for that game coming up in just a little bit. But let's talk a little Suns basketball. As the Phoenix Suns could be looking to pry away Bayon Bogdanovich from the Utah Jazz. As I reported yesterday, the Suns have reached out to the Jazz to gauge interest in, in a possible trade. Would the Jazz be willing to trade him? And I, the answer is yes, the Jazz would be willing to trade Bogdanovich for the right price. The question is, what would that price be? Now, what I was told is that the, it might be more difficult for the Suns to make a deal because there's really nothing that the Jazz want that the Suns have. Outside of the picks, and you might, you know, might, you might be able to get him for a couple of first round picks and an expiring contract or two, but there's no real piece that they look at. If you think about it, you take out Booker and Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail and Cam, your core five guys. What do the Suns have that anybody else would really want? Everybody else is Jay's an expiring deal. Dario's an expiring deal. Bismack's an expiring deal. The three guys that they got, you know, one of you off season and just ended the bench guys, Ish, Wayne, right? Like, there really isn't that campaign. I don't think anybody really wants campaign after the tough year he had. Landry Shamit. I don't really think anybody wants Landry Shamit. Now, the Jazz, thanks to the Donovan Mitchell trade, I mean, they not only got players, but they got so many picks. They have so many picks now over the next couple of years. I mean, over a dozen of first-round picks over the next couple of years. So, I mean, how many <laughs> how many picks do they need? How many picks do they want? So, for the Suns, A, I love the fact that James Jones is saying, I'm not satisfied with what I've got. I need more. I'm making calls. And I know GMs always like to say, we're always looking for ways to improve our team. Okay, but this is they're actively going after guys. They're they're big game hunting. All right, they're not looking for Tory Craig's at the trade deadline. They're big game hunting with a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich who can get you twenty a night. Now, he's expensive, but this is a guy. You know, offensively, you put him in that starting five, and the Suns are right there now, back. On top of the Western Conference in terms of teams that would have to be considered among the favorites, if not the favorite. I, I would put them neck and neck with the Warriors if they were to get Bogdanovich offensively. We were talking earlier about defense and rebounding. Eh, that's, a, that's a little bit of a different story now. Sure. Okay, because now you got two small forwards on the front line with, with DeAndre Ayton. You know, you did, did Dario Saros have to come in and do some. He had to bring yeah. his lunch bucket every. He had to be, bring his lunch bucket well, every night. That's where you lose. You know, not having Javel McGee as a backup, yes. like it frees you up to play a better offensive style with Dario spreading the floor. But it does hurt you as far as not having that other guy that can rebound the basketball. And that might be something. Listen, if they traded for Bogdanovich, it doesn't prevent them from going out with the six and a half million dollar um, taxpayer exception and getting a rebounder. It doesn't prevent them from going to get a rebounder with that money. So maybe that's something they would do at the trade deadline or the buyout market um, is to go get themselves somebody that they could really help them defensively uh, as well. Because you're right, no JaVel McGee. Dario's going to play a lot of small ball. Five, you would imagine. Some four, but five as well. Bogdanovich is a willing defender. He he, he His effort is good, um, His but his game is offense. Like his game, he's not a zero on defense. He 
plays and he plays hard. He's physical, but he's not like a plus defender. Right, but it's so, not. But it's not football. You don't have an offense and a defense. You got those five guys out there well, in the fourth quarter of a playoff yeah. game. They they gotta go back down and do it on the other end. But what you, if, and that's the thing. What if you don't give away Jay? Like, what if Jay's not part of the package? Go then you would still have Jay. So that would give you more defense and rebounding if you're able to do a deal and not give up yep. Jay. But some way you got to come up with about $15 million in salary going back to the Jazz. Uh, maybe it's a third team that gets involved to get a deal done. I imagine it's going to have to be two picks. I don't think one pick gets it done. Um, so we'll see how much the Suns want to add that, that one more scorer. There was a lot of talk about Jordan Clarkson as well, but in the phone calls you've made, even though while the Jazz may be interested in moving off of Clarkson, all indications so far are that the Suns have shown no interest in Clarkson. Are you surprised by that at all? Because he would also seem to be a fit to what the Suns may need coming off the bench. Yeah, I I don't know about I haven't I, I haven't heard that they're interested right. in Clarkson. Are you surprised though that they're not? To me, that would be a fit. And again, we're talking, listen, there's a lot of guys who'd be fits, but Clarkson and Bogdanovich, because of the fire sale in Utah, yeah. are available and attainable, one would think. He's under contract for $13 million this year, $14 million next year. He's a reigning sixth man of the year. Yeah. No, I like him. I mean, he's, I like him. I mean, he's a, like much better than, than campaign. He's got two years left, thirteen and fourteen million. You're paying Chris Paul all that money. You've still got campaign. You know, maybe I don't know. I like him. I have. I just have not heard that there. Maybe they are interested. They listen. They could be interested in him, but I haven't heard that. So I can't say no. They're not. I know they made the call on Bogdanovich. I don't know if they had interest in Clarkson. I've not heard that, but he's a good player. And obviously the Jazz are going to be looking. The Jazz want to lose games. Yeah. They've got like 13 picks coming up over the next six or seven years that are either unprotected or lightly protected picks. That's where they're going. That's where they want to go. So, I mean, it makes sense that they move Bogdanovich. It makes sense that they move Clarkson. I just don't know if the Suns would want Clarkson. I know that they like Bogdanovich. It's just the Suns are in such a win-now mode, given the age of Chris Paul. And I actually, I I heard Bernsey, actually, uh, on your show uh, last week, talking about what the Suns may need that they don't have going into next year. And I wholeheartedly agree with them. And just to echo echo what what Bernsey was talking about, was they just needed another score. And what Bernsey was saying, if you remember, was, I don't care if it comes from a backup point guard, a backup shooting guard, a backup small forward, a backup power, whatever position it comes from, somebody who's not on this roster now that is brought in that can come in and put the ball in the basket not only in the regular season, but maybe more importantly in the postseason. Somebody who can get you a bucket. Somebody who can get you 17, 18 a night. And the Suns don't really have that guy right now. And, and both and of did, those guys would do that. Both of those both guys. Both of those guys could do it. I said it the other day. Jordan Clarkson is a guy. He hasn't done it very often, but he's a guy literally that can go out there and get you 40 on a given night. He's done it in his career. But he needs the ball, right? The thing, like, he doesn't, he needs the ball. Where I think the thing you like about Bogdanovich is just his ability to play off the ball. So, I, you know, maybe that's the thing. Like, you've got your ball dominant already with Paul and Booker. If you get Clarkson, he's ball dominant. So, yeah, how many ball dominant guys do you want? 
See, with Bogdanovich, the the, the benefit is he, you can play him off the ball. Yep. You know, he could spot up in the corner and shoot threes. You could post him up and then throw the ball to him down low. He could post up guys. So I just think, I, I would tend to think that they're not interested in Clarkson. I would tend to think that just because you can't have too many ball-dominant guys. Everybody who's ever scored at some point in the possession is ball-dominant. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. I, I mean, you can't I, 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 ball I dominant for ten seconds or ball dominant for two seconds. Ball dominant for fifteen seconds or ball dominant for two seconds. Right. Well, listen. Sometimes I, guys get the ball and they've got it for two seconds. Sometimes guys have the ball and they've got it for ten plus. Yeah, seconds. but any peri- listen, any perimeter player is going to need the ball. Jordan Clarkson again. I, I, I think he might be just what the doctor ordered in terms of guys who might be available for other teams having fire sales. So I'm, I am not surprised the Suns reached out about Bogdanovich. I'm a little surprised when they made that call. They didn't say, what's up? by the way, what's up with Clarkson? What would it take to to get him? So, but maybe listen. Maybe he's not a James Jones kind of guy. That's that's why anyway, we're just we're just two guys talking. We're just two guys talking. Mm. You know, because this is again. Chris and Devin during the regular season are gonna are gonna have off nights. They're gonna need rest. They're not always gonna be out there. Especially you, you got to manage Chris Paul's minutes this year. You can't play him like you played him last year. No, no. But either way, no matter what, even if you manage the minutes, the bottom line is once you get to the playoffs and play in every say every other day, you can't manage those minutes. You can't manage those minutes. If you real if you're relying on Chris. It's harder to manage those minutes if like Chris Chris and Book are gonna be the guys. Like that's how you that's how you're gonna win or lose. So yeah, I can manage Chris's minutes, but once you start playing every other day, like, okay, great, you saved them five games, you saved them ten games. Once you're playing every other day for two series, it, it's going to catch up to you very quickly. Yeah. I don't know that the rest in January, missing a back-to-back, is going to help you when you're playing every other day come playoff time. No, maybe, maybe you get a more rest in the second quarter of a playoff game. I don't know. Just something to think about. Something to think about because, if, again, if, if, if Clarkson would be available... Maybe maybe that would be a guy. More importantly, though, they have inquired about Bogdanovich, and that's yes. a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, and they're definitely interested in him. Bix Picks is back for the 2022 NFL season. Text PICK to 620-620. Sign up and compete against Dan Bickley for your chance at the grand prize 75-inch TV, courtesy of Corona Extra. Weekly winners will receive an NFL jersey at their choice and a $50 gift card to cold beers and cheeseburgers. Just pick uh, text PICK to 620-620. 620-620 to enter. D-backs and the Brewers, can they keep it up? We'll talk about that next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball is 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. We're checking in on the D-backs as they warm up for the game's first pitch. D-backs on deck, brought to you by 72 Sold. Get thousands more on your home with no inconvenience. Visit 72sold.com and by Sonic. This is how we Sonic. Stop by your nearest location today for the Sonic Chop House Cheeseburger. For a limited time, only at Sonic. Zach Allen is the pitcher of the month in Major League Baseball. 5-0 and with an ERA, like a 0.68, I think it was. He's your pitcher of the month for August. Merrill Kelly was your pitcher of the month for July. We had Merrill Kelly on the program earlier. talked about this, you know, the unspoken competition between the two of them. You know, not the anything you could do, I could do better, but just unspoken competition. It does look like those those two guys are really pushing them, pushing each other. You know, only two other pitchers have won back-to-back pitcher of the month honors in Diamondbacks history. Gee, 
Take a guess who they are. I guess Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. There you go, Gamble. Yeah. You can't get anything past you. You cannot get anything past me. Yeah. Yo, dog. How about that? <laughs> so I was good to get uh, get Merrill Kelly on the show. D-backs are going to take on the Brewers. They've won six out of seven, and they're, like, they're beating good teams. They're beating teams that are content. The Brewers are fighting for a playoff spot. You know, they're 69 and 61. The Phillies, who they took two out of three from, you know, trying to get a playoff spot. So so when you when you look at the teams that the Diamondbacks have beaten, everybody looked at that schedule. On oh, its schedule is going to be brutal. They played some good baseball. Now at this time, we always turn it over to Mitch because I don't know what the hell I'm doing when it comes to you know running this point because you got to check the minor league stats, you got to go out to the hop, you got like you got all these. Uh, let's go, go to the hop. You got all these things you got to do, and I just I don't know, I can't remember it all. And of all the things I forgot to do, I forgot to get the song on standby. Oh, so I'm sure Tim will have it ready. I yeah, I'm ready. sure it's Tim a, will have it ready. It's yeah. in the holster. Tim will yeah. be ready for or it. Or I'll just sing it. <laughs> Before we get into tonight's game, because you t- you touched on Merrill Kelly being on with us earlier, I did want to play a few of the sound bites for the audience that maybe didn't get a chance to hear him okay. when he joined us earlier. You mentioned the question you asked him about if there's friendly competition between him and Gallon. Here's what he said. If anything, it's more unspoken. See what I do, not see what I say. We've become pretty close over the last three years. I love the fact that our lockers are next to each other so that we can talk about things, what we see about hitters, what he did to each hitter, how he attacked them, kind of pick each other's brains. But there's definitely nothing spoken. We don't really talk about it. Confidence tends to rub off on one another when you're so close in a tight proximity as it is. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no question that, you know, that these two guys are very competitive and they want to go out there and take the ball and they take a lot of pride in going deep, you know, into the games. And, uh, you know, there's no question, I think, that these two guys are pushing each other to, to, to do well and lead this rotation. And a big part that's been helping them, both of them, the past couple of months has been the defense behind them. And you guys asked Merrill Kelly about how great it is to have that behind them. No doubt. I mean, I'd probably put our outfield up against really anybody in the league right now. Um, you know, Alec Thomas, ever since he's come up, has been ridiculous. Um, you know, he saved me four runs single-handedly out in Cincinnati. Um, um, but as far as the other guys, Varsh and, and Max been playing great for us. He puts a lot of pressure on pitchers. Um, and when you have that speed on the bases, like you said, you know, it takes away a lot of focus from the actual pitch. And when you're doing that and you're causing havoc and running around, uh, it's much more likely to, you know, leave a ball over the middle for, you know, maybe Marty or, or Walk, um, somebody to drive the ball and bring those fast guys home. I love looking at defensive runs statistics, and Merrill Kelly just brought up an important one there. They saved them four runs. Alec Thomas single-handedly saved four runs on his stat line. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, if you listen, if you're pitching to contact and you're looking for fly balls to have guys that can cover that much ground over the course of a long season, it's going to pay dividends, and that's why you look at the future of the D-backs outfield, there's so much excitement and optimism. You got guys that can cover that kind of ground over an 162 game season, you're going to save a lot of we're runs. Going to save a lot of runs. Going to save a lot of runs. I mean, for sure. I mean, you could even make the joke like they don't need to look for an outfielder this offseason. The five that they have right now, no, they're good. good. Yeah, and, and and the question is, how do you get even Stone? And is so young, but even I put Stone Garrett in that group because he's the only righty, right-handed batter, but he could play some DH. He's got some pop in his bat, but I think you could find. 
between Varsho, McCarthy, Thomas, and Carroll, those four guys, they're going to get the majority of the reps in the outfield. The problem is that they're just all left-handed bats. So you've got Stone Garrett who can play the outfield, and then he could also DH a little bit. So I, I think they're fine with being able to get everybody the proper amount of games in at bats. You know, Willie McGee was a switch hitter. So one of those guys got to learn how to switch hit. Get, yeah. Gamble in the offseason. Absolutely. Why not? Come on. <laughs> it's as easy as that, right, Ringer? Yeah, go, hey, by February, I want one of those guys switch hitting. So yeah. the trend as of late, as you guys both know, has been great pitching. So let's take a look at tonight's pitching matchup. Okay. Brought to you by Native Interiors. Your floors, your way. Text floors, F-L-O-O-R-S, to 620-620 for more info. There's going to be a couple good pitching matchups in this series, and I got to give credit to this one. This one's kind of sneaky. Eric Lauer of the Brewers, the left-hander, has got a 10-5 and record on the year, a 3-5-8 ERA, and 129 strikeouts, and he's going to take on the righty Zach Davies with a 2-4 and record, but a 3-8-2 ERA and 80 Ks on the year. This one's sneaky good, in my opinion. Yeah, you know what's interesting? Um, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna like this. Lauer was acquired from San Diego um, in a trade in 2019. You know who he was traded for? Zach Davies. Zach Davies. These guys were traded for each other. In 2019, he was acquired from San Diego with Luis Urias and a player to be named in exchange for Zach Davies and Trent Grisham. 11-27, my birthday. Oh, yeah, I remember that 2019. Trade. They were traded for... These two guys are going up against each other. They were traded for each other. If I'm not mistaken, Davies pitched for about five years with the Brewers, so you know he's going to want to face off against yep. his old team with a good performance tonight. Absolutely. There you go. There you go. And Arias is the guy that's got the very unique stand-in-the-box stance where he's literally bending backwards, almost touching his head all the way to the ground. It's pretty impressive to see him play that well. Let's take a look down on the farm. Brought yes. to you by Redbird Farms. Check in on the sod. Who's our favorite part? Go to the hop. You can't put a price on great taste. Let's go to the hop. Let's start at the hop. Again, another game against the Tri-City Dust Devils at home. Yeah, let's bump it. Bump it, ringer. Down at the hop. This is what it sounds like in Hillsboro. Taking on the Tri-City Dust Devils. That one will get started later tonight. The other low A affiliate, the Visalia Rawhide, still on the road. Looking to bounce back after a loss yesterday to the Lake Elsinore Storm. At the double A level, the Soddies, the Sod Poodles, back home at Hodgetown. Taking on the Frisco Rough Riders. That one will get underway shortly as well. And then the Reno Aces finishing up their Nevada rival, the Las Vegas Aviators tonight. Dre Jameson on the mound. The ERA is not great for Dre on the year, but another one of those Diamondbacks pitching prospects who's expected to be great for them for years to come. He could actually be up this year at some point, too. We went to the hop, yeah, we went to the hop. Now let's look at the MLB standings, which are driven by <laughs> trucks only, the Valley's number one independent dealer and home of the lifetime engine warranty. Just really quickly, Diamondbacks, seven games behind the Brewers, who are three games behind the Padres for that final wild card spot. Diamondbacks holding on to a comfortable third place in the NL West. And there's one last piece of business, and you both know what it is. Listen, man, I need you to be the key master. I am the key master. Keys to the Game, presented by Mist America, home of the patented Mist 360 outdoor cooling system. Visit MistAmerica.com today for a cooler tomorrow. Rowdy Telez back in the lineup, 27 home runs. You know the Brewers are second in baseball in home runs? That's the key to the game for Zach Davies. Keep the ball in the ballpark because the Brew Crew, no Gorman Thomas, but they can hit the ball out of the ballpark. That's the key to the game today. 
No Rob Deer. <laughs> no Paul Molitor. Robin Yon. <laughs> Jim Gagnon. Raleigh Fingers. Prince Fielder ain't Sal walking Bando. through that door. <laughs> all right, that'll do it. Tim Rain, good job filling it all week. We hope everybody has a great three-day weekend. Happy Labor Day. We'll be back Tuesday, 2 o'clock shop. See ya. Have a great night, everyone. Still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Oh.